Welcome to The Sober Unicorn. We are a gay-hosted, all-inclusive podcast about sobriety and addiction recovery for the LGBT plus community and all of our allies. I'm your host, Holden, and thank you for joining us today. Well, hello, hello, everybody. I hope everybody's doing absolutely incredible. This is Holden back here again here with The Sober Unicorn. Today, we are being joined by somebody that we also met on Instagram. Um, Instagram has been an absolute blessing on finding guests for uh, the Sober Unicorn. And um, well, hello, Allison. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing incredible. I mean, just like just like you, I'm getting my morning started and um, just trying to figure out what I'm going to do the rest of today. It's <laughs> mm, a good time to have. Yes. So when I was like, when you reached out, well, I, I think I reached out to you. I'm not really sure. Um, but I was super excited to get you on because you share kind of a different path than the rest of my guests that have been here on this podcast. Um, many of us here on the podcast have hit rock bottom in our addiction, um, where some of us were homeless um, and have to seek out treatment, but you didn't really have to hit that rock bottom or like massive addiction level in order to uh, get sober and better yourself. So kind of, why don't you kind of give us um, a backstory on what got you sober? What made you decide to get sober, even though you didn't, you hadn't reached the point of like an alcoholic yet? Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm a therapist by trade and um, because of that, I have a few master's degrees and the way that I put myself through getting my grad school was I was a New York City bartender um, and, and was for a very long time. So I started bartending right after I graduated college. So I was like, you know, a baby. I was 21. Um, and I, I was really involved in bar culture. So I kind of had this strange lifestyle where nine to five, I would work my job in therapy after you know, let's say five to nine, I would go to school and then nine o'clock at night, I would go bartend. And that was my life for basically up until COVID, you know, at some point the, the education fell away, but I just worked more in, in therapy. And during COVID is when I, um, I think I started to, you know, I don't know that I developed a dependence to alcohol, but I was definitely drinking more than I, you know, would love to admit now, um, you know, my husband was unemployed. He actually owns some New York city bars. Um, so they were closed down during the pandemic. And, um, at one, one night it was, there was like one particular night, um, we had been drinking some wine. I was working, you know, I'm sure as you can imagine, a therapist in the pandemic had quite a lot of work. So I was doing a lot of sessions and at the end of those sessions, you know, you couldn't go anywhere couldn't see friends, couldn't see family. So we would just drink wine. And one night I had a panic attack and I have not had a panic attack since I was, I mean, my God, like college at the latest, possibly even high school. And it was severe, um, so severe that it landed me in the emergency room, which is not the place that you want to be when, you know, it's the middle of a global pandemic. And I had a nurse I don't even think she was a nurse. I think she was a social worker come up to me and was like, Hey, I noticed your blood alcohol content was like pretty high. And, um, you know, what's your deal with drinking? And I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not addicted to booze. Like I could totally quit. And, and luckily for me, I think at that point I had not 
like I, I I don't know what would have happened. I was definitely on a path, right? To full addiction, but I, I caught myself in this like circumstance there where I'd only really been like dramatically drinking for um, a few months. And she started talking to me about how, you know, like why it was that I was drinking. And, you know, what I shared with her is that I was feeling really anxious. And, you know, I was having all this imposter syndrome. I was really overwhelmed. I was overworked. And I just was kicking up too much drinking over the last few weeks. And, you know, she said to me, she gave me a bracelet with her, with her name on it um, and her number on it and told me to call her anytime. And um, when I went home, I really started thinking about like, wow, why, why is my anxiety so bad right now outside of the fact, like for obvious reasons, we're in a pandemic. And I started Googling like anxiety and alcohol. And what became very clear to me is that I'm very educated in psychology. I have uh, associates, a bachelor's and two master's degrees. And no one at any point when I was my education talked to me about alcohol and mental health. Right. It was always under the framework of addiction. So I had a framework for that. But, you know, short of the last few weeks, I really didn't drink that often or I just was kind of like a party girl drank too much when I did. Um, so I started buying books and, you know, we now know it as, as Quitlet and I started reading Quitlet and I had this huge epiphany that we really just don't talk about alcohol and anxiety uh, and mental health, right? It's almost exclusively in the model of addiction. And so at that point, I became sober curious. I wasn't quite ready to say like, no booze for me at all. Um, I just really took back how much it was that I was drinking. And um, so that kind of started me. And over, so that was like about two and a half years ago. And what I noticed over the last two and a half years is every time that I was abstaining from alcohol, my anxiety and my mental health was exponentially better than when it was that I was drinking, even drinking in moderation. So that kind of opened up an entire lifestyle for me that changed. Um, it took me a while to be, I'm now completely, uh, abstaining from all alcohol. I'm at day, like almost a hundred, I think. Um, and of the last six months, I've only probably drank maybe twi twice, both of those times, uh, my anxiety skyrocketed the next day. So it's been sort of a long road for me to really get the message that alcohol is terrible for mental health. You do not have to be an addict to be renegotiating your relationship with alcohol. Um, and, you know, it's just, I talk to clients day in and day out about all of their mental health, right? Meditation, um, meditation, you know, drinking their water, going to therapy, all of the things that we do for our mental health, just to throw complete turpentine on it when we drink. So um, that's been somewhat of my soapbox now because I wish that someone had told me that years ago. I think I would have made maybe different decisions when it comes to alcohol. Um, the way when I talk about it to clients, um, you know, again, sort of this different framework under mental health, I use the example of cigarettes, right? Like, okay, people smoke out in the world, but we all know that it's dangerous for you. We all know that it could lead to cancer. It leads to dependency, all of these things. And when, if someone chooses to smoke, that's their autonomy. 
I've been talking about alcohol in the same way. You know, if you're going to partake in drinking, yes, absolutely. It's an addictive substance. There's nothing that we can do about that. It's the most addictive substance. So, you know, an enormous percentage of humans are not going to be able to moderate because it's just impossible to do that. But then we also need to talk about brain health, right? Alcohol is extremely damaging to our brain, right? So it shuts down our emotional regulation. It shuts down our motor skills. It shuts down our short-term memory. It can affect our long-term memory. Um, and all of this matters too. So present day, um, I feel clearer, more present. I'm going after bigger dreams. Um, and I do attribute that to sobriety for sure. So the thing is, of course, as somebody that has not stuck out at like a 12-step fellowship, like I know when I go out to the bar with friends um, or new people that I meet and they're like, oh, like, why don't you have a drink? And I, it's like, no, thank you. I'm sober. Like, I'm in recovery. Do you kind of use the same at least verbiage? Of, like, I'm in recovery or I'm sober to kind of get away from them pushing drinks onto you? It's a good question. I have been using the word for me that the word that speaks true is I just say alcohol free. Um, for a while, I think that that was because I hadn't fully committed to like, this is my lifestyle. Um, so I think I was scared to use the word sober. Um, you know, obviously it has a connotation to it. The moment that you say like, Hey, I'm in recovery, I'm sober. Unfortunately it gets demonized, which is really terrible because those people are really, really strong. Um, so I typically use the word alcohol free, um, and the interesting thing, um, you know, to note on all of this is what I now understand is so when you have your first and second drink, your dopamine level spikes, right? There's like a, a huge surge of dopamine in the first two drinks because your brain is expecting a reward, right? We have all of these patterns from society, right? It's five o'clock somewhere. Mommy needs wine juice. You, you gotta, this is how I calm down socially. All of the things that we probably all know, because we're expecting a reward, that chemical in our brain shoots up, right? And that lasts for two drinks. And so it's almost impossible for almost all of us to override the chemicals that are in our brain. So it makes sense of why, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, you know, your listeners have had the experience of like, you know, it's just like, where do you stop? Like one is not even obtainable. I, you know, I know for me, even though I infrequently drank, when I did drink, I would go way overboard and spend the next day, you know, really having like hellacious anxiety. Like when they talk about shame spirals and anxiety that really related to me. And now I understand that. I understand that the dopamine spikes to the point where your brain is just like, no girl, another drink, have another drink, have another drink. And that makes a lot of sense for me. So in my experience with sober curiosity and now becoming alcohol-free myself, um, I actually found it's it's easier for me to abstain completely from drinking than trying to moderate. Like I did that for the first year where I would make all these rules about drinking. You know, I'm only going to have three drinks. I'm only going to drink on Tuesdays. It's when I'm out with my friends and we're celebrating at a birthday party. Those are the days I'll drink. And sometimes I met that and most of the time I didn't, right? And now I, I understand that what I was trying to do to my brain, it was just impossible, right? I'm going to get out. I could have the best of intentions at drink one. I can sit down with my friend at a bar and be like, you know what? That's it. I'm just having one drink. And then I get to two. And then suddenly I have like this witch in my brain that is just like only exclusively thinking about the next drink, right? It's really like the drink becomes the third person in the room. And I'm like, hyper aware of what other people are drinking and um and just all of that and, and now I understand there's something chemically in my brain that's 
that's causing a lot of that. Um, and then the other interesting fact, not to like bore everybody with like brain stuff. I love brain stuff. <laughs> <laughs> then the other thing that happens is because there's this giant surge of dopamine, your cortisol gets released to counterbalance it, right? Our bodies are always trying to get back to homeostasis. So it, it doesn't want all that reward chemical. So it needs to balance it out. So about five hours after the last drink, your body rages with cortisol, which is our stress hormone. Um, so if anybody's woken up in the middle of the night and just had like that horrible anxiety, those shakes, um, you know, what did I do? Do I have my phone? Like all of the things that happen with anxiety, there's also a chemical reason for that as well. Oh, that's kind of crazy to think about it that way. Cause I look also look at it as with the scientific fact of, I can't remember the full details of it, but I know that your body produces this enzyme in order to break down the ethyl of the liquor. And once you exceed the amount of uh, like intake that you're doing, then your body in turn produces another enzyme that causes you to crave the liquor even more. So it's like, well, instead of breaking it down for you, let's just crave it some more, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely, right? Is- and like, how do you get out of that? That you're stuck. There's nothing you can do. That's not that's not resilience. It's not strength. It's not like mind over matter. There's things that are happening inside of our brains that are making this almost an impossible task, which, you know, I, I was a New York city bartender for 18 years. And I think back on a lot of those memories and like at three o'clock in the morning, you know, most people aren't living their best life, right? Like they're just kind of like compulsively still drinking. It, it's like the fun of the alcohol, the fun of even the situation has somewhat lost its glamour um and you're just sort of doing it oh for sure i know in my drinking it was the first i would say the first seven drinks were kind of fun and then after that is when you know you shouldn't be drinking more but yet you still are sitting at the bar drinking more and even like doubling up your shots um and going back kind of rewinding a little bit back to like the the stressors I never really realized that because I would actually wake up in the middle of the night and be like, holy sh- where's my car? Yes. Um, many of that was because I was blackout driving, which is not yeah. a good thing. But going to like the mental health piece of this all is like many people, I know for myself, if I was depressed, I would go and get that drink because we all know many I was kind of uh, compared to like a beer drinker. We all know that first drink of beer gives you that woo-saw feeling. Mm-hmm. That, oh, finally. Like, it's, again, it's, I feel it's, as you as you said with the brain, it kind of, it's a reward system. Mm-hmm. So, but alcohol is a f- depressant. Absolutely. So why are we going to treat depression with something that's going to make us more depressed? And exactly. it's the longer, of course, the longer you're drinking, the longer you're pulling yourself away from actually what's dealing like what's causing that depression which then all this bullshit then piles up piles up piles up and then it i i feel it kind of makes it even worse yeah it's like i used to deal with it with depression or like um for myself but many people as you said anxiety um, i feel is number one too because people have social anxiety um and they feel that the moment that I let me get some liquor on me and then I'll dance, let me get some liquor on me and I'll sing some karaoke. Yep. Absolutely. All of that, you know, and 
part of, so, you know, my background now, so in mental health is I'm primarily a trauma counselor, right? So I've, I've taken this like strange career. I was, a, I worked in a hospital, I worked in a jail um, in solitary confinement, and now I'm in private practice. And so most of my clients have had trauma and what we work on so much is mindfulness, right? The ability to be present in the moment without judgment. That's essentially what mindfulness is. And, you know, thinking about all of the training day in and day out, right? I'm, I'm, I'm talking to people about mindfulness. I'm like beating this horse, right? I'm constantly talking about it. It's so my soapbox. And then in my own personal life, here I was again, like sort of throwing things on fire, right? I'm so mindful Monday through Friday. And then on Saturday, I go meet up with the girls for brunch and we have boozy mimosas and then maybe they go home, but I'm not that girl that goes home. So I go meet friends because I have friends all over the city who bartend. I have some more cocktails and then maybe I go home and open some bottles of wine. And then I'm, you know, complete, like who's present in those moments, right? Like I've spent all this time on my one day off doing the thing that would rob me of any type of mindfulness because you just, you, you know, those things can't exist. You can't be drunk and mindful. It's impossible. So, you know, I sort of started to feel like an imposter that here I am preaching, like live mindfully. And, you know, on my, the minute that I am off of work, I'm, I'm not living mindfully. And so a huge thing that I've noticed again, over time, sort of playing with sober curiosity and then ultimately deciding to make like the long haul commitment, um, is just how I look at my own life, you know, um, I have a goddaughter. She's 15. She's absolutely stunning and amazing and gorgeous. And I love her to pieces. And I think about all of the times in her life that, you know, usually when I see her, I see my, uh, her mother, her, my, my friend, and we'll have wine. And just that alone, right? Like here I am trying to spend time with someone who's really important to me. And the thing I'm doing is making myself sort of less available to her. Um, and she came over last weekend and probably in her lifetime, it was like the first time that it was like 100% sober. You know, I had no glasses of wine in me and I just even noticed how different it was. You know, she was telling me about what it's like in her high school experience and, you know, some problems that she was having. And I could be fully present in the same way that I'm present for a client. You know, I was there, I was aware, I was conscious of what I was saying. I was really active listening, um, you know, you can't do that when you're, when you're boozed up, it's impossible. <laughs> What's crazy. What I found was when I was boozed up, the conversation was constantly flowing. And then when I, and these were people that I thought were like my best friends and all this. And then when I got sober, um, I would go and hang out with these people. And I'm like, why am I friends with these people? The yes. conversation was stale, dry. I was like, you could see the difference in personalities and you're just like, why, why did I even entertain this person to begin with? And again, it's like my drinking, a lot of it was uh, seeking attention. Uh, so I would be a gay man. I would go into a straight bar to be the token gay man mm -hmm. for everybody to, for the straight country guys to make fun of while their wives were there like oh my god you're my new best friend mm -hmm. and it got me the attention that I was seeking and got me all kinds of free drinks and then 
of course, later on, I mean, I never knew my end with drinking. It was either when the bartender cut me off or when she was like, okay, it's four in the morning. You need to get the hell out of the bar. Yeah. And it's 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 yeah. crazy now that I'm so clean and sober. Like, I look back at these times and I'm like, yes, I still hit hiccups. I, I just had, I was uh, in the funeral industry and the person that taught me everything I knew about embalming just recently passed away a couple weeks ago and it's weird on how I cope with death now and how I cope with life situations I mean I normally if I was in my addiction I'd be going crazy I literally just quit my job make myself unemployed with a brand new car rent I mean I have a massive amount of bills and I made myself unemployed but I was able to make that decision very consciously and for the betterment of myself and saying you know what you will be okay like you I had to do it because I mean I'm coming up on 90 days in uh this this go round and hopefully nice. my last go round <laughs> me too I think I'm like at 80 I think I'm like at 87 so I, we're we're right on on uh congratulations yeah it's it's you know what's weird though is I was nine and a half months before uh struggling with relapse and a lot of my relapse was seeking validation um, through other people. And so I put myself in messed up positions. But um, this time around, like I am, I, I work a 12 step program. It's not for everybody. And I don't, uh, whether it works for you or not, great. If it doesn't, as Absolutely. long as you stay sober, that's the goal. Amen to um, that. But I am like trying to do this so honestly and so thorough that in my coming up on 90 days, I feel I've worked through more trauma this time around than I did the whole nine and a half months before. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, I have a few thoughts. Like, first of all, um, you know, to the point of, you know, now you're sober and meeting up with friends, it just puts it in such a different light. Actually, I think that was the hardest part for me. Um, you know, first of all, because, you know, I'm, I'm not in a program and I think my friends and a lot of people that I run um in social circles with they don't see me as someone who had a problem like I always paid my bills I was never getting into trouble I mean like generally speaking as much as alcohol was wrecking havoc on me that was not something that was observed um you know publicly it just I I only typically drank when I was out I didn't really drink at home for the exception of a few weeks in COVID um and I I keep my shit together so um when I told everybody that I was sober, it it was met with a lot of hesitation and resistance. You know, I, I would get a lot like, but you're fine. You're not an alcoholic. Like, just drink. Who cares? Why, do, why does it matter? And um, I also weirdly had anxiety about the bartender. Like, because I was a bartender, I still like bar culture. Um, my friends are in bar culture. I currently own bars. Um, and so it was hard for me to go sit at a bar and not order a drink because I felt like I was being a bad customer. And I actually worked with an alcohol coach who had said to me something to the effect of like, you're ruining your personal health for the observation and experience of someone that is absolutely minuscule to your life and you're going to tip well. So just get over it. And actually that was quite helpful. Um, also with the emergence of non-alcoholic beers, that does not work for everybody. If it does not work for you, do not partake in it, but it does work for me. Um, so I started to still engage in bar culture, 
And I realized that a lot of my drinking buddies were just like the friendships were so superficial and that was really, really hard for me. Um, like very hard for me to have that, you know, awareness of these people that I had considered some, you know, only a few of them, but some people that I had considered extremely good friends really were quite toxic. And I, I was toxic to them as well. I think, you know, we would go out and have really repetitive conversations. They would typically be very gossipy based. Um, you know, we're not talking about our life dreams where we want to go spirituality, like anything that was is deeper. It was even our families we weren't talking about. It was all just like bullshit. You know, when we were, a lot of these were my, you know, some of my coworkers at the bar and it was just, yeah, it was just all gossipy. Um, and so now I have had to let them go, which definitely went through like a pretty big mourning process for me, um, for sure. And, but now that I'm on the other side of that, that took like a while to kind of work through, um, I've realized that the friendships that I do have, the ones that remain, and some of them are still people that drink. Some of them are still people that I worked with. Um, you know, I, I nurture them a lot more and they're really more beautiful and deeper and supportive and just like healthier relationships. So though I have less friends, the friends I do have, the relationships are just really beautiful. Um, and that's really, I think, important. Um, so I wanted to say that. And then quickly, the other thing I wanted to say is, you know, on relapse, you know, my model for trauma and therapy is that nobody does better with shame. And I do think that sometimes we need to just go through what we go through to learn more stuff. And I'm a trauma therapist. I don't believe in like what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. I think there's a bit of a toxic element to that. But, you know, looking at my life and how many times I committed to to not drinking for the long haul and then how to have an experience. I've learned something different every time I come back to sobriety. And I think, you know, this, hopefully this one sticks. <laughs> I'm almost at day 90. <laughs> um, but, you know, the last time that I I relapsed, I, I only relapsed for a few days. I was on vacation and I um, went a few, I went like almost the whole vacation without drinking at all. And then our flights got delayed and we stayed for a few more days. And I just had the fuck it moment of like, why am I even doing this? It's fine. I'll just have wine. Again, woke up the next day, horrible anxiety. What did I do? I kept drinking, right? Like the dumbest thing I could possibly do. Of course. What you do, right? I was like, hair of the dog. Like, well, fuck it. I'm all in. Let's just do it. Um, And I drank for like two days, like two straight days. I wouldn't quite say I was on a bender, but it was like, I mean, I've definitely partied way harder than that, but it was like bender light. Um, and then when I was coming out of it, I just really thought to myself, like, look at the first seven days of this vacation where you were present, happy, like even the pictures, you know, that we were taking with my friends, you can like, you can see the difference, right? I'm like wide-eyed and bushy-tailed in the first seven days. And then my eyes are glassy and I look dazed and terrible mm -hmm. the last two days. And it's just like, you know, it's a visual representation of just what alcohol takes from each and every one of us. Um, so I kicked it again and I'm now I'm day 90 almost. And um, my husband has been so inspired by this. He is not fully sober, but he is, um, I would say he's cut down his drinking by 98%. Um, so he's on his own journey as well, which just, you know, again, speaks volumes to we all got to find out what individually works for each and every one of us and 
and do more of that. And what works for me may not work for someone else. And, you know, just compassion around that. This is, this is super quitting alcohol in a culture that is absolutely obsessed with alcohol is extremely hard. Like we're all doing really hard things. Oh my God. That was the, I think the hardest thing when I first got clean and sober that I would be driving down the road and it was like billboard after billboard, Sonic Seltzers, Mountain Dew, the new Brandy by Stella Rosa. That's the billboard I see almost every day on my way home. And it's just like, you get that, that FOMO where it's like, well, shit, like, why'd I have to quit drinking then? Why can't I quit drinking now after tasting all of this? But then it's like, the moment I quit, give it a month and there's going to be more stuff. And it's just, it's crazy to me, um, kind of discussing going out, telling your friends you're alcohol free or sober is how many people look at you be like, why? It's like, why not? I mean, it's again, uh, it's old Hollywood. I blame, I mean, I blame old Hollywood for a lot of it, uh, for the fact that they glamorize drinking and smoking. Um, movies do and like and why don't we flip flip the script and show how damaging why don't we have movies out there well we do actually now there's some tv shows about addiction but alcohol is very socially acceptable so when you're going against the social norms people just like well why would you do that it's less fun it's like it wasn't fun anymore that's why i quit because i didn't have the choice on whether i was gonna drink $300 worth of a bar tab in a night like my body just I had to because that's what my body wanted and it's like thank god I did not get caught because I should have most definitely been in jail because the amount of blackout driving I was doing public intoxication and the driving with substance because of course my addiction went further than alcohol um but yeah, I mean, tr- of course, you have client confidentiality to your clients, of course. But so if you can answer this question, I would like this question answered. If not, we'll move on. But do you find that people that have dealt with trauma in their life have a higher percentage of substance abuse issues? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Sure. You know, absolutely. You know, and honestly, any kind of, even if it isn't the extreme of trauma, you know, I definitely see a correlation, but I mean, people who are coming to me, I guess, are coming because they typically have some sort of a diagnosis or, you know, presenting problem. But it, you know, to all of the points that you just made, it's like our culture is obsessed with booze, right? I note at one of the books that I read was talking about um, how many times you see an image of alcohol inside of TV, like daytime TV. And I have now noticed this, right? And I have yet to watch a show where they're not constantly drinking right so someone you know we're this is just the message in you know our culture when you're sad drink when you have a breakup Mm -hmm. drink when you want to have fun drink when you want to celebrate drink right so now if someone has that schema right like oh i you know i i just got dumped i need alcohol right i'm having a bad day i'm going to take a bath with wine you know, it's just, we're so susceptible to that message. It's really, really, really radical to be like, Hey, like you just talked about grief and I'm really sorry to hear about your mentor, you know, sitting in grief is really hard, right? So it's easier to just, you know, even if we're not talking about trauma, grief, anger, frustration, 
I've had a bad day at work, right? Sitting in that, having to figure out how to move through it is really terrifying if you don't have the tools to do that. Mm-hmm. So it's much easier to drink, right? You get an immediate dopamine kick, right? You feel better, right? Like uh, immediately, phew, I'm relaxed now. Look at how easy this is for me. Um, and then you delay any kind of having to face what it is that you have to face. And, you know, I, I joke with my clients that I'm like, you know, these bad coping skills, they work. They work until they don't, right? They're, they're not like long-term effective, but no one would drink alcohol. No one would participate in anything that was negative if it didn't at least work somehow. So it's, it's, you're, it put, you know, you're taking the short term and it's working, but over the course of your life, there is going to be a moment where this suddenly really, really doesn't work. And for me, that moment was like, you know, thank God that is my rock bottom was just like saying to my husband, Hey, I think I need to go to the hospital. I feel really off and I'm not sure what's going on with me. You know, it wasn't drinking and driving or getting into an epic fight or getting arrested, but it was still, I was using something until the day that it didn't work, you know? Um, So that's hard. It's just hard. I mean, we really have, it's amazing to me just how often clients talk about drinking, right? And like, you know, a lot of the times they'll talk about big fights that they had. And I always now, I didn't used to, but I'll now say like, hey, was alcohol involved? Like, tell me the circumstances about this fight. And it's like, often there's booze involved, right? It's just, I fought with my friend. We were at a bar. We got into a fight. We were crying by the end of the night. You know, our booze shuts off our emotional regulation. That's just what happens to our brains. Or what's what's so weird is that you'd say it shuts off our emotional regulation, but yet for some people, like get five shots into them and they're boohooing in the corner and they're right. over emotional. <laughs> yeah, because it, it doesn't shut down our emotions. So the thing that I learned, which again I should have learned this when I was in undergrad, but the sort of course of what booze does for you in as far as like shutting things down so ethanol is a poison right like that's that's a fact i had someone on instagram be like this is untrue and i'm like no this is this is literally a fact (laughs) ethanol is poison right so our body is just like having food poisoning it doesn't want poison it recognizes it as a poison so when we drink enough booze our bodies start to want to preserve itself right? So first it's like, okay, we don't need motor skills, right? We can totally shut down that part of the brain. It's going to go dark, right? It's why we slur. It's why we fall. Then the next part is like, all right, I don't really need emotional regulation. That doesn't mean I'm not going to have emotions. It just means the part of my brain responsible for, is this appropriate? Mm. Goes dark, right? So the per that's, I'm sure we all know someone who, you know, is the crier or is the angry drunk, right? They're behaving in a way that they wouldn't behave when they're sober. (laughs) I keep falling into my hole in my wall sorry <laughs> <laughs> I have a hole in my wall um so that's the second thing that goes dark and then the third thing that goes dark is our short-term memory like we we know our bodies know that our long-term memory is so important we're not going to get rid of that but it's like yeah she doesn't need to remember this end of this night so in the course of all of those things our brains start to kind of go dark and I mean that's important <laughs> We need our brains to function as people, but it's why we make poor decisions. It's why we fall. It's why we get, we, we wake up the next day and we're like, I can't believe I was crying over that, or I was screaming over that, or I got into this fight over nothing. You know, we're just, we're not, no one's acting the best self. No, no, no I, <laughs> that is the damn truth. Um, so before we come to a close, um, is there anything that you haven't shared that you would like to? You know, 
Yeah, I would say anyone, you know, listening to your show, other shows, you know, this is a movement. I I do believe that, you know, many of us have approached sobriety and a sober lifestyle because of something that personally happened to us, whether we were having, you know, major rock bottom moments or just renegotiating our, our, our relationship with booze on a lighter level. But, you know, doing all of this is radical. I I think it's a huge form of self-love. And I think collectively, if we all start to share stories, um, like you are giving a platform to like, thank you for having this show. Um, I think that it starts to normalize what living without alcohol looks like, right? Maybe the future generations won't have so many, you know, they decide to quit drinking and they're not why, but just have a drink, all of the things that, you know, probably you and me and many of your listeners have been up against. So I think, you know, power in numbers, let's all band together and and just try to change this whole, uh, this whole kit and caboodle. Exactly. Well, if anybody resonated with your story or, wants to get into contact with you as possibly maybe a therapist online. Um, Where do they find you at? Yes. My website is uh, www.notefromyourtherapist. A note from your therapist. That's pretty much all my social media handles. Um, And I have a pretty badass newsletter that I'm starting, which talks all about self-love empowerment, definitely sobriety. That can be found at a note from your therapist slash join the movement. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much for joining us today. It was majorly appreciated and very insightful. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and and the opportunity. Of course. Have a wonderful day. Thank you again for listening to today's episode. Hit that follow button to be notified about new episodes every week. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Instagram at The Sober Unicorn Podcast or on our website at thesoberunicornpodcast.com. There you will find our episodes as well as our very own sober-owned shop featuring products from small businesses that are sober-owned. And remember, everyone, don't be normal, be a unicorn, but better yet, be a sober unicorn. Sober Unicorn.